politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to live free to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here for Tuesday, June 22nd, and happy Okinawa Day. Yes, now that we celebrate nebulous days, we may as well celebrate days that have deep, significant meaning. You know, it's funny, uh, people forget Okinawa was a greater battle than really almost anything on the Eastern Front in World War II. Uh, They literally fought to the last man. They had to kill every single Japanese civilian and uh, you know, soldier on that island. That was really the last battle, major battle of the Western theater of the war in general. Uh, June 22nd, uh, they had the kamikazes going on their ships, you know, the supply lines. Unbelievably, I mean, that was really, in many ways, the pinnacle of American power, American resolve, American values. Perhaps that's what we should celebrate. Um, perhaps if these young, woke losers in high school and college being brainwashed would learn about what their, I guess by now, maybe even great-grandparents, I was going to say grandparents, but I'm forgetting that I'm getting old, uh, great-grandparents did, they would understand what it actually means to be an American. Now, folks, I wanted to talk a little bit about crime today and seizing the moment and mixing that with a narrative we've been developing on how so many people don't realize in politics that Twitter is not America. That if they only cared about things that people cared about, if we had a sane Republican Party or opposition alternative party, they would utilize the moment to crush the communist, anarchist, Marxist left just on the issue of crime alone. But sadly, they're led astray by Twitter, and I want to get to that later. Very, very important article. But obviously today, when we're discussing crime and things like that, folks, you can't count on your government to protect you anymore. You need to protect yourself, not just with a firearm, but I would advise getting body armor, and if you're going to do so, get get it from our friends at AR500 Armor. They offer... Um, very a very easy to use website for people that aren't familiar. Uh, I would advise the lightweight stuff that you know it, most of it will stop handgun ballistics, but they have varying levels. AR500 has multiple packages built for citizens just like you who are looking for those various levels of protection, um, and they make the shopping process simple and approachable, particularly for people that are looking to break into. Uh, body armor, which is something that, you know, is really for until now for very few people. Uh, but with all the crime going on, you're going in certain neighborhoods. I'm happy to have that extra layer of protection. Best of all, they put together packages specifically for our audience. If you guys go to ar500armor.com slash Daniel, you could see all their promotions and special pricing running right now. You can use promo code Daniel for 20% off anything in their store. They have a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, So again, plan right now to protect yourself and your family at ar500.com slash Daniel. Again, ar500.com slash Daniel, promo code Daniel. Remember, the best time to prepare was yesterday. 
the second best time is today. And really, to me, this is emblematic of the phony rights fake battle on crime. I got involved in politics. I didn't get involved, but I mean, I got interested when I was a young kid in the early 90s, crystallizing in 1994 with the Republican Revolution. And a big part of that was the crime issue. The crime bubble was, you know, surging. And what it meant to be even a moderate Republican was to look out for the victim of crime and do everything we can up and down the criminal justice system from policing to the court system to prison sentencing to deter and punish bad guys. It was that simple. And then I, and, and, you know, really we actualized the most successful trend we've ever seen, I think, on any public policy issue in our lifetime, two-decade-long decline in violent crime. But then you see this movement that was always there that didn't believe in prison. They seized the moment because people forgot what it was like to live under, you know, heavy crime. And they started about a decade ago pushing in the states and crystallizing with the federal legislation that they got Mr. Trump to sign off on to de-incarcerate. This notion that somehow we're too tough on crime. Well, now we've come full circle and it's blowing up. We have record crime everywhere. And it's even worse than the data suggests. I want to talk about that a little bit today. And now the left is caught in a quandary. Because Republicans, typically, you have an opposition party that checks what the other side is doing. And they seize any opportunity. You did what? You let out a violent criminal and you run ads against them? But no, Republicans remain silent. So they kept taking more territory and taking more and advancing and advancing with no opposition. You're listening to the opposition right now. I was literally the only man with a byline that consistently fought back against criminal justice reform. So what's happened now is they were so successful, you now have a scenario where not only were was the prison uh, pop- population in most states dropping from 2012 to 2019, but since 2019, nationwide, according to a, a Vera report, Vera is this like you know, pro-de-incarceration outlet, the prison population dropped by over 240,000 persons, 17%, from 2019 to the spring of 2021. And that's while the population is constantly growing. The rate, the incarceration rate dropped even more precipitously. We're talking about raw numbers. Raw numbers. Those people are out in the street and the next generation of criminals are not being locked up initially. And there's a greater number of those in the next generation of criminals starting at an increasingly younger age because there's less of a deterrent than there was against the teenagers that were coming up in their potential crime career 15, 20 years ago. So they're starting to panic, and we're now at a crossroads. Are Republicans going to let them off the hook, or are we going to create a movement for candidates to run for local office, for state office, making this issue a top priority to lock up criminals? Not just just funding the police. That's not the main issue here. It's incarceration. There's a there's a whole article. I don't. I'm not going to get into this guy's drivel, but there's an article written at the New Republic 
titled Will Criminal Justice Reform Survive Rising Crime? And they recognize that the rise in crime is a threat to their agenda. They don't care about the rise in crime. It's just, how is it going to affect the agenda? I'll never forget, you always had when the Hamas bombers would blow up the Israelis, they would always get up there and say, how is this going to affect the two-state solution? Again, they weren't concerned about the genocide. They were just concerned about how it might derail their maniacal political agenda. And they're right. If you had a Republican Party, jailbreak would have been shut down a long time ago. But if you listen, Republicans are still very muted on this issue and is always misdirecting people's attention to policing, which there's definitely important things to discuss with policing, but that's not the main issue. That's 100% of the discussion. Don't defund the police. That's a straw man. They're not defunding the police. They're, it's a policy problem. It's not a funding problem. Most things, if you look at them, they're not funding problems. They're policy problems. But there's an important article from the Washington Post. Biden launches, it, launches an effort to head off violent crime and political peril for his party. President Biden is expected to lay out an anti-crime strategy this week, focusing on gun crimes as part of an effort to stem the rise in homicides across the country at the beginning of what his administration experts believe will be a tumultuous summer. Biden's plan remarks Wednesday will put the White House at the forefront of a delicate issue that has dogged him and the Democrat Party in the past and carries potential political consequences for them. In other words, basically, their point is that Democrats are basically crushed between their woke left, which doesn't, re- which is like 5% of the population that doesn't believe in prison and their racialist agenda, and most people anywhere that want criminals locked up. See, in the past, Democrats had certain sacred cows. De-incarceration wasn't one of them. It wasn't mainstream in the Democrat Party. There was an element. So they were willing to go along. Bill Clinton was willing to go along with the, the Giuliani-Reagan agenda on crime if it meant staving off that political bloodletting, which certainly hurt them in 1994. One of the issues. But Biden's going to go make it about guns. As I've been screaming for years and certainly the last number of months, Republicans have an opportunity to slam this on, just flip it on its head, and to demonstrate how they are letting out the violent criminals, including, and most prominently, gun felons, and to dare them with legislation, strengthening mandatory minimums, which have become a joke recently, particularly on gun felons. Shove it right up their rear ends. But if Republicans don't do it, watch them successfully Make this all about guns. So there's a report out from Crime Watch Minneapolis. Good guys there. They looked through the latest sentencing data in the state of Minnesota. Now, obviously, you look at Minneapolis and crime is out of control. Um, Shootings are up 90%. And it's, you know, carjackings are up 500% in Minneapolis. It basically turned into Mogadishu. Why did it happen? This is a very important point I want to make. So to the extent Republican candidates talk about the crime issue, finally, after years of this, after reversing the trend, because in a lot of places we've been reversing that trend since 2015, and that's very alarming, and I warned about it right away, and I knew where it was coming from. You could send a trillion dollars to every local police department. It won't matter at this point. They're like, Don't defund the police. That's not the issue. 
The issue is that this racist two-tier justice system has basically said that the people that, I don't, I don't like saying the people because even among blacks, it's a small minority that commit crime, but among the people who do it, they're the largest demographic of violent crime perpetrators. They're exempt from justice. You're not allowed to arrest them. You can't sentence them. You can't charge them. Well, guess what happens? Minneapolis happens. A living hell happens. And of course, most prominently, blacks are affected by it. Do you know, um, and, I, and I'm trying to dig up the data in other states and other cities, but did you know that in Milwaukee, and I'm sure this is true elsewhere, from 2014 to 2020, blacks were 79% of murder victims. And I didn't look at the perpetrators, but usually it's roughly the same, you know, where it would be roughly 79% of the murder suspects were black. And that in itself is a big story. So far in 2021, now mind you, um, 2020 set the record, Milwaukee set a record for homicides. 2021 looks like it's going to outpace that. In 2021 so far, 91% of the murder victims in Milwaukee are black. Okay, 91%. So all these AOs, Republicans are like, oh, we have to give into criminal justice reform because it's going to lock up too many black people. And, and we're going to talk about this myth of over-incarceration, which is so not true. We have an under-incarceration problem. But guess what happens? Not only do we have record number of homicides, but an outsized share of that excess are being burdened by blacks. See, this is the joke of these woke white leftists. They don't, they, they accuse everyone being racist. They're the ultimate racist. I mean, you saw this, it's in the news, Senator Whitehouse, the Democrat from Rhode Island, he's part of a white-only swim club. And, and yeah, I mean, they're always like that. Because if the baseline was that 79% of homicides were, were black victims, and then we have a year where we have, or two years now, excess homicides, and now they account for 91% of the total, gosh, you do the math, they, they're likely upwards of 95% of the excess BLM-induced, jailbreak-induced homicides. In other words, you know, the, the typical homicides that often could include among them the CIS type of murders, you know, CSI, I mean, um, you know, the love triangles and the business money-oriented. So that's a little bit more diverse. It could be anyone. But th those those homicides haven't really gone up. They, they, you know, there's a certain baseline for, them, for those. It's the street violence. It's the gang warfare. That's really what's increased. It's almost every one of those excess homicides are black. The fact that Republicans don't run on this is shocking. But the reason is not because of a lack of funding of police. Minnesota has a report they published, but the last one's 2019, so we don't have the new data, and I'm sure the numbers are blown out. But even as of 2019, they had um, data about the percentage of defendants that were recommended for pri uh, prison and received a downward departure from sentencing guidelines. Mind you, we don't have mandatories. We have guidelines. So first of all, we don't have mandatories. Though that's the whole thing with the Booker decision in 2005, the Supreme Court, one of the many horrible, horrible Supreme Court decisions on crime. 
But, you know, Congress and states could get around that. They could make mandatories. So we don't even have mandatories, which is the problem. We need them. We have sentencing guidelines. They report that in 2019, 39% of Minnesota defendants that were recommended for prison received a downward departure from sentencing guidelines. That was before the COVID jailbreak. That was before BLM, or I mean this generation of it, and and the Floyd stuff, and basically where we created a racist system that if you're black, um, the law doesn't apply to you. Already in 2019, it was a record number, and 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 it was going up over the years, the percentage escaping the sentencing guidelines, and then it really went up those few years because that was the criminal justice deform revolution like from 2015 to 2019 that I was the only one who covered it. And then God knows what those numbers are now. But it's important to point out that even the sentencing guidelines, you might say, well, Daniel, those are the low-level people. No, they're already baked into the cake. You understand that if you have, if you're charged with theft, you could have five criminal history score points, five points. And the guidelines still recommend no prison time. Burglary, you could have three. Assault, you could have two. Okay? So, by definition, when we say that there's people that pursuant to the guidelines need prison time and they get a downward... Um, a downward departure. Those are your murderers, rapists, robbers, assault, multiple criminal points, criminal history. That is your crisis of Minneapolis right there. That's your crisis of every city. Louisville. Louisville is like, they, they crushed their homicide record last year. They're, they're you know, going to get it this year again. And by the way, the clearance numbers, the number of cleared solved cases, solved homicides, went down from 48% to 32% in Louisville. My buddy Nathan Hyatt sent me that. So give me a break. We have more people out there than ever. So they, they put it in perspective in this report. There were 17,355 felony convictions in Minnesota in 2019. Okay, 17.3 thousand. Only 5,900 were even recommended for prison. And of those, 2,353 received a downward departure. So in other words, of the 17,355 felony convictions, only 3,612, okay? That's less than 20% were fully sentenced pursuant to the guidelines, which themselves are often way too lenient. And this was 2019, before the revolution. And remember, in Minnesota, you never serve more, and this is true of a lot of places, but Minnesota in particular, you never serve more than two-thirds of your sentence. So even those are let out with at least a third lopped off. There's nothing left. This notion that somehow all this is over-incarceration, it's a liar. It's such a lie. And and again, let's not forget that serial burglars 
are not just a danger to property and quality of life, which are a big deal, but that those are the ones that often commit the other crimes. So when we say, you know, they didn't even need a downward departure because the sentencing guidelines don't recommend prison for a lot of burglars. Remember this, uh, another attack on an Asian woman, Ann Taylor, right? The 94-year-old that was stabbed in front of her San Francisco home. It turned out that that guy had been arrested five times last year for burglary. And he was even arrested for stabbing someone to death, but he was acquitted because he didn't have enough evidence. But everyone knows he did it. But he didn't serve. So that's not added to the incarceration numbers. He was sprung from prison for his last burglary just seven days before the attack two weeks ago. There, there are so many more people like that on the streets. So you have all the people for the big four violent criminal categories that are getting downward departures, aren't getting prison because of all the ways that we've crushed the court system. There's not enough evidence to convict them. But then a, a, a plethora of the ones that are, you know, arrested on burglary, larceny, theft, um, third degree assault, drugs are also committing the other stuff too. And they're certainly not getting anything. The Star Tribune reports that in Minneapolis, violent arrests have dropped by a third, a third last year, from 600 to about 400. Is that because there's fewer criminals? No, they're having record violent crime. Number of shooting victims, again, up nearly 90% compared to the first half of last year. Homicides are up from, there were 22 homicides this date last year. Now there are 40, almost double. Yet arrests are down. Well, it's not yet they're down. That's why, I mean, the two go together. That's the issue. It's not so much the funding of police, it's the policy. They're making fewer arrests, fewer convictions, fewer being sentenced to prison, and the few that are, are getting downgrades by a mile. That is the story of the criminal justice system in every city before the Floyd Revolution. Now, I mean, the, the problem is the data we always have, whether it's the federal level uniform crime or a lot of state uh, crime statistics, they're often two years old. So you don't see the latest trend. We're not responding to it. This is the story that nobody's talking about. And I've been yelping about for years. Republicans can remake politics in America on this issue alone next year in one, in one election cycle, but they won't. But folks, I, I want to mention just a couple of things about crime trends. People don't realize, people don't realize this, that, l- l- let me give you an analogy. Let's say suddenly um, more people would start dying from cancer. Well, they actually did because of COVID, but that's because we weren't diagnosing it. But I'm saying in general, let's say more people start dying from ailments that we had a certain rate of success against, or or just you know more people start dying from things that were totally curable. So the number is worse than than what the data suggests because once we achieve a certain technological advantage, you should be able to maintain that. You know, certain things the trends go up, they go down, but then certain things should be permanent. And what people don't realize is there's two very important trends when it comes to violent crime. One of them only really to homicide, but one with regard to everything. We have cameras everywhere. The, the phone technology, the tracking, and we certainly saw this with the FBI in the January 6th thing, which we now know that they themselves perpetrated. But 
What I'm saying is, since the 80s, the last time we had a, you know, the crime wave, the technology has grown exponentially. You know, it used to be you commit a carjacking, you look around very carefully so you don't get caught, and you do it, you're wearing a mask, you know, what are you going to do? It's hard to catch that, the guy. Now we have cameras over every square inch of this globe, and, and I'm just using one point of technology. So yes, we should be catching them more often, but we don't. Or, or I'm sorry, often we do, but that's the issue. We let them go. We lost our deterrent. You marry today's technology that our government has to a system that would deter them properly like we did in the 90s, and even then we never fully did what we were supposed to do, you're going to have a hell of a lot more people in prison. At least temporarily. You do it for one generation, you'll have a deterrent. It will go down. It'll be like in Japan. You do something bad there, believe me, they ain't going to tolerate it. But because they don't, because they don't, is why the crime is so low. Then there's also another technological thing a lot of people don't realize. Now, this only applies for homicides. Don't just look at the increase, the top-line increase in homicide numbers, okay? So if you look at certain top-line increases, you'll look at, um, where is this? You look at New York City, for example. This year over last year, homicides are up 13%, and which is terrible given that we were going down every year. We reversed the trajectory, but it doesn't sound like a lot. But shootings are up 64%. Los Angeles, homicides are up 22%, but shootings are up 51%. What people forget is one of the um, areas of medicine that is really advanced is gunshot wounds, trauma. I mean, you know, people taking a couple rounds to the dead center or even headshots sometimes, depending on where it is, increasingly people are surviving that. So what you, don't, what you don't realize is you can't compare the homicide level. You can't just look at the number. Homicide means the guy died. You can't look at the numbers of today compared to 1985. In other words, if you have in a given city the same homicide rate today as it compared to 1985, really it's much, the, the degree of violent crime that is fueling it is much greater. Because that likely means there are so many more shootings and they just survived. But the public safety threat is even greater than those numbers represent. And likewise, the deterrent that we have is much less because they should be scared as heck of being caught. They know now they punch someone in the face and the guy cracks his head on the sidewalk on the street. They know they're going to be caught. It's a matter of is it going to be in a couple of hours or a couple of days. NYPD will track them down. With the cameras. The reason they have no fear is because what's going to happen to them? They'll spend two years out pre-trial. On very low bail. If, if any bail at all often. Commit more crimes. And by the time you come to the underlying thing. No one wants to testify. They have to take a plea deal. And they get time served. They get whatever. They get supervised release. That is the story of our system. And any Republican running for office in your county, in your state, that does not run on these points, nail him on it. Because he just doesn't get it. The reason why I'm so frantic on this issue is because what worked against us with the COVID fear 
actually works for us on crime. And that's why you see these headlines, Biden, the Democrats, they're panicking on this. People, if people fear something, they're going to go in the direction of a policy solution that they think will assuage that fear. Unfortunately, last year that harmed us with COVID fascism. But it works in our favor when it comes to crime. You know, you could have all these like suburban women, you know, oh, you know, get involved in all these touchy feely stuff. But when you have a rapist uh, out on the loose there, when you have shootings nearby, when you have all the carjackings in suburban neighborhoods now, you know, they're not going to say, you know what? I think I want to feel better about myself. So uh, let's not lock them up. No, they want them locked up. I've seen it before. That's what virtue signaling is. It's cheap. It doesn't cost anything. It's only when it doesn't cost you anything to, you know, signal about what you're, you know, about your phony virtue. But the minute it costs you your life and safety and security, that's out the window. And the left knows this. Last generation, when we were at the foot of the mountain we've already climbed of crime, we had the entire Republican Party banging away on this, running Willie Horton-style ads. Now it's just, they're just starting to wake up, and even then they're focusing too much on the funding level of the policing. That's not the issue. It's not the issue. Let me tell you something, folks. We always hear this garbage that there are too many people in prison and it's being driven by low-level crimes, which of course is not true because none of them serve time and even the high-level ones are out. But I just want to give you a sense of the universe of criminality that's out there. Wouldn't we all want to have 100% clearance, meaning solving 100% of crimes? I mean, isn't that a goal we would all wish we could do? If we could press a button, wouldn't we want that? But let's say we press that button. Do you understand, folks? There's about 20,000 homicides now. If you go off of 2019 data from the FBI, 125,000 rapes, 240,000 robberies, 727,000 aggravated assaults. Those are just the big four violent crime categories totaling 1.1 million offenses. Okay, not unique individuals, but 1.1 million offenses. Do you know that just 45.5% of them have been cleared? Meaning 600,000 have not been cleared by law enforcement. Meaning 600,000, if I just fulfilled the dream that everyone, except for the far left, would agree to, wouldn't you want to catch anyone who beats someone up, robber, rape, murder, right? Do you understand? 600,000 more would be in prison. Now, it's not exactly because there's a lot of repeat offenders. They're probably doing multiples, but you get the point. But, it, but folks, it's worse than that. Even in the 500,000 or so, the 45% of the violent crimes that have been cleared. Do you know what a clearing means? It doesn't mean it results in the murderer being locked up for life, the robber being locked up for 25 years, the rapist being locked up for 50 years, aggravated assault being locked up for 10 to 15 years. No. That means it resulted in an arrest of a person they think is likely the suspect. Or other, there's other smaller definitions of a, a clearance, but that's basically what a cleared crime is. How many of those were never convicted? How many of those convicted were sentenced and wound up serving anywhere close to the amount of time that is commensurate justice to what they did? 
of that 45%. That's a fraction of that 45%. Again, I just showed this to you from Minneapolis. 17,300 felony um, convictions in one year. 17,000. And that's not arrests. Those are convictions. The, the denominator is much bigger than that. Those are convictions. It's very hard to get a conviction now. And we noted that less than 20% of them got the sentencing guidelines. Less than 20% of those convicted. So it's probably 5% of those who really committed the or th- those arrested and less than 1% or 2% of those who really committed it, but that includes those that we never caught. So you understand, there are 168,000 roughly robbery cases that are never cleared, cleared at all, that result in even an arrest. About 350,000 assault perpetrators that go uncleared. And then even um, rape, just 33% of the 125,000 go on to be cleared. Right? So over 80,000. Over 80,000 rapes in this country go without even an arrest. And I think, as you well know, among the whatever it is, the the, the 40,000 or so are arrested, oh my gosh, how few of them wind, wind up really getting justice meted out. And these bastards want to tell us that we have an over-incarceration problem. Notice what I didn't mention. I didn't mention firearms. And I didn't mention drugs. Didn't mention a word about drug offenses. These are just for those offenses. Then you start going to the property crimes. But remember, property sounds nebulous. But when you have rampant larceny, motor vehicle theft, arson, burglary, vagrancy, the homelessness, the drugs on the streets, that crushes a city. I mean, we're seeing this everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm not someone who's going to tell you like I would with other offenses that we should, you know, give someone the death penalty life in prison for for shoplifting, but you do have to have some sort of punishment to turn for it because if you don't, you get what you have today, all the videos of them just openly coming with a cart and a bicycle and carting stuff out of a store and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Just 17% of the 6.2 million reported property crimes, just 17% have been cleared. And certainly almost none of those guys served anything. This is a big deal. People lose a lot of their life dreams on this. That's why we have a government. And again, that's a sucky ratio given the technology we have. Believe me, when it comes to January 6th, they have a 110% clearance rate for what they wanted to do. 2019, there were over 981,000 reported burglaries. Just 14,000 burglaries went 14% went cleared. That means 844,000 burglaries didn't even result in an arrest. 86% of the 655,000 motor vehicle thefts. 86%. So well over a half a million motor vehicle thefts went on without resulting in an arrest. And those are often very devastating. You know, you'll have people that have, like I did, you know, an old Toyota Corolla that works works fine. and But because it's old, it has almost no value. You get nothing for it. 
But let's say you know you're you're scrapped for cash and you you plan on having that car for another five years. Well, now you got to buy yourself a new one. You don't get reimbursed squat for the car that the guy stole and totaled. So, I mean, this whole thing is a lie. An utter lie. It's unbelievable. Carjackings are up 62% in New Orleans. They also had in, in, in Louisiana when Republicans had the trifecta. Tons of jailbreak laws. Who's going to run for governor now? They have a Democrat there. But they should easily flip that seat. And two years from now, who's going to run? Are they going to run on this issue? This notion that we have an over-incarceration problem. Anyone who understands what happens in their community. When have you ever seen a guy where you're like, wow, he really got punished more than what he did? Oh, I'll tell you where you find it. Oh, you do find that on certain crimes, so to speak. Not the ones that Republicans and Democrats are addressing with criminal justice reform. So we have um, the McCloskey, you know, the, the, the husband-wife couple. The, he's actually running for Senate in Missouri now, Mark McCloskey. That they were defending their home from BLM attacking them. They had to turn in their guns and basically plead to a misdemeanor. Governor Mike Parsons, he needs to pardon them. Oh, they, they, they know when to go after people. And then this, I forgot to mention this, speaking of Minneapolis. So think about this. While you could just do whatever you want, charges to be dropped against semi-truck driver who drove through protest on I-35 West. I, I wrote two articles on this. I covered this at the time. So remember, um, during the protests in May, they were blocking I-35. That's the main interstate in the state. They just went on there without warning. And the guy didn't know. The, the guy, this, this guy actually, um, Bogdan Vichurko, uh, I don't know if he's like a Ukrainian immigrant or whatever, he was actually coming from delivering fuel to a black-owned gas station, and that owner actually put that out on Twitter. Somehow he says a white supremacist goes and drives into a crowd. They didn't have barriers up. Imagine you go on a highway, there's no barriers up, and all of a sudden, you, you're like, there's a crowd there. They beat him almost within an inch of his life. So I saw that headline. They dropped charges. I was like, wow, it's about time. But then I read the article, and I find out that he has to complete a restorative justice program, pay restitution, and remain law-abiding. Then the charges will be dropped a year from now. I mean, that's greater than murderers. Murderers, that's like on par with the guy who murdered the person, that the two juveniles with the knockout killing at uh, the Frederick Fair here in Maryland a couple years ago. They got anger management for a year. And mind you, not a single one of the people that blocked an interstate were charged. Not one. New York Post reports that in New York City, hundreds of alleged looters and rioters busted last year in protests over George Floyd's murder, had been had their charges dropped according to NYPD data. In the Bronx, which saw fires and mass looting in June, more than 60% of arrestees have had charges dropped. 73 of the 118 people arrested in the borough had their cases shelved altogether. Another 19 were convicted on lesser counts like trespassing, which carries no jail time. Oh, whoops. Except if you're trespassing public American symbols of the Capitol then 
you serve time pre-trial without bail. And God knows post-conviction how much time they'll serve in prison. This is the two-tier justice system we have in this country. In Manhattan, 222 of those arrested had their cases completely dropped. 73 got lesser counts. Of the 485 people busted in the borough, 128 have open criminal court cases, while 40 juvenile defendants had their cases moved to family court. This is unbelievable. Oh, we have a racist justice system, all right. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But folks, I could go on and on and on on this issue alone. Spent a little bit more time than I meant to, as always. But I think some of this data was very important. Bookmarked this show. But I want to get to this article I mentioned at the top of the hour. Bobby Burak from Outkick.com. Twitter is America's target audience and has misled the most powerful. And the reason why I think this is an important segue here is because Republicans, if you go, you know, man on the street, even during the peak of jailbreak over the last five years, in my Democrat plus 25 county, Baltimore County, Democrats, and and mind you, Democrats cannot lose. But still, when they go door to door, they say, we're going to be tough on crime. Now they're lying, but they know that's what, even in a Democrat area, that's what people want to hear. Yet Republicans bought into this notion that everyone's clamoring for criminal justice reform. Because part, and, and part of the reason is because they think Twitter is America. And this is a very important point here. This radical group of people on social media that spend all day there. And obviously I'm, I'm the minority of the minority that spends a lot of time there that fights it. But most people aren't like that. They control the entire country. That's how we have this inverted pyramid of this tiny elite that had, thinks insane. They push these ideas, criminals, victims, victims, criminal, man is woman, woman's man. Uh, you know, COVID is murder, murder is not murder. So he, he talks about some, some very powerful things. In the last four years, Twitter has become America's target audience and subsequently one of the most powerful groups in the country. Applicants are hired if their Twitter accounts are presentable. Employers are fired if their past tweets don't age well. Politicians build laws with social media reactions in mind. And that's what the whole Juneteenth is. You talk to anyone on the street. You know, Juneteenth, even a Democrat's like, that's stupid. You talk to conservative Twitter folks. Yes, yes, we need Juneteenth. You talk to your average Democrat about crime. Do we lock up enough criminals or do too many criminals get let out? Unless they're totally like in a certain profession, they're going to tell you, you know, the the system's not strong enough, right? Yet you go on to the Twitter conservatives. I was the last man standing opposing criminal justice reform. Major media companies promote, demote, and protect personalities based on retreats and likes. Corporate America's decisions attempt to anticipate social media results when America is called racist by too many blue checks. Curriculum is changed. In other words, America's most influential individuals and industries are at the mercy of the most frequently seen and shared Twitter accounts. As a result, these accounts dictate state policy, education, entertainment, and industry. It's a very simple thought, but it's a very, very powerful observation. That's who has the power. But who exactly are these people? They are the most easily offended, bored, pampered, and hateful sociopaths in our population. They all think alike. Alike. Yet the all is still quite small in raw numbers. 
Pew data finds that 3% of the population creates, 90% of all tweets sent. Only 8% of the U.S. population is active on Twitter. Late night TV, award shows, and comedy have adjusted content to cater to that 8%. They've been deceived and now hemorrhage viewers. In addition to a misleading sample size, Twitter has convinced the media corporations and politicians to adopt a narrow world view. The same Pew study finds that Twitter users are D plus 15. Were Twitter a state, it would tie with Hawaii and Vermont as America's most liberal. But listen to this. What's more, the 10% of Twitter users who post 92% of all tweets are D plus 43. Herein lies the disconnect. Twitter has told decision makers that Americans agree that the country is systemically racist, that white supremacy is the country's greatest threat, that Americans by and large are okay being viewed merely on the color of their skin. And folks, you, you could read it again, OutKick, Bobby Burak, Twitter is America's target audience and has misled the most powerful. One of the most powerful articles written recently. And that's the problem. This is what has, this is the difference. In 1993, you didn't have any of this. So all Republicans are like, what the hell? Crime's got to end. And then Democrats felt they need to go along with it. Now it's like pulling teeth. To this day in Texas, all of the conservative lobbyists are pushing more jailbreak bills. I'm not kidding you. This is why we need to pressure these guys to make them see a different America. How many state legislators, county officials get hammered away on the phone and by letter campaigns? and social media, and and radio by conservatives. Very few on very few issues. ConstitutionAction.com, that's where you could join one of my state teams. I need team leaders in a lot of states before I can get some of these teams off the ground. I have the people. We have 2,000 people. We have enough people in each state to have more than enough to form a group, to successfully push the top issues of our time. In red states, red counties, we have an agenda. We just need a coordinator. So that is something, if you're begging me, Daniel, what could I do, what could I do, what could I do? You could do a lot, if, particularly if you're in a red state. You could email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. But again, folks, this is what's driving crime. This is what's driving the COVID fascism. You know, I talk to people and I ask them, I say like, you know, did you hear about what they did to ivermectin? They're like, Daniel, what's ivermectin? They don't know. But I guarantee you, they all know about the Delta variant. I'll have a piece on that tomorrow. I'll try to work on that. It's a lie. It's actually less deadly because it's more. if it's more transmissible, it's less deadly. And, and the UK now has data on that. India, look, look at India. India, everyone's dying. They have one-seventh the death rate of America, one-tenth that of the UK. An utter lie. The mask, the this, the that. There's stuff. It, it's almost like they're Navy SEALs like, like, or special operators their whole power is to appear larger in numbers than they really are. Some of my colleagues are shocked at how bold I am in taking on some issues. I'm like, the truth be told, I mean, I even have Democrats like, wow, that makes sense. It's only in the Twitter sphere. It sounds like, oh, wow, it's earth shattering. But they determine what the issues are. So Republicans just spit back what they spit back and they don't provide the counter narrative. So people never heard of this. You know, my, my, my wife was speaking to her sister. So one sister that's kind of like buys into garbage, but I wouldn't even call her a liberal because she doesn't even know enough to be a liberal. She didn't even know about the heart problems, myocarditis or the blood clotting with any of the vaccines. She didn't know about it. Didn't know about it. Now, obviously you'll tell me, well, Daniel, that means she's probably not on Twitter all day. That's true. 
But the point is, it's the people who are that determine the narrative, the messaging, the press releases, the talking points, and the policies crafted by the policymakers. So that's why Republicans don't talk about it. Republicans are still promoting the vaccines, just the opposite. So we have a lot of other news on that that I didn't get a chance to get to, but I do, do want to close on crime. Just get back to the point. There are some really good opportunities to fight back in my home city of Baltimore, Fells Point. My father used to work there uh, at the harbor. It's gotten so bad with the vagrancy and crime that a group of 30 business owners are threatening to withhold taxes if the city doesn't address the crime issue. So they have open-air drugs there. And again, like a lot of people are like, Dang, we need to lock people off with drugs. Okay, well, I mean, now that we basically not just permit it, but we uh, glorify it in our political and social life, go down to Baltimore and see what the quality of life is. It's, it's awful. Not to mention that they're all involved in violent crime even after it was essentially legalized. So much for that myth. But, um, so that's that's something going forward that we need to start doing, organizing businesses like that. And then Buckhead Atlanta. Buckhead wants to secede from Atlanta because of the crime issues. And I think, again, this is something, when we talk about greater Idaho, we need to really rethink boundaries to confine the cities and join together the other places. It's in our hands. I'm, I'm starting to get a taste of that liberty ahead of July 4th. I feel a lot better than I did last year. But at the same time, we could lose this opportunity. The opportunity is there. We're winning on COVID fascism. We're winning on crime. But we don't have a party that's going to take it. Because, again, they respond to Twitter. You know what's funny? Um, there was There's this article out there from, uh, the, of course, the UK Daily Mail. It's always the Daily Mail. They report what the American media doesn't. Jared Kushner screamed at an HHS official, you effing moron, we'll be dead in June. Basically, this was last year, he was decrying the delay of shipment of masks. This is what we had the Trump administration buying into. You're killing us if we don't get our masks. What a joke. What a joke that administration was. Again, because they responded to Twitter. And, and partly, this was really Trump's Undoing. Everyone always says he represents the common man, but the problem was he actually got, got taken in by the media narrative. Like, so if the media would do ventilators, he'd do ventilators. I'm going to do, do ventilators better than anyone. I'm going to do masks better than anyone. Oh, I'm going to do the vaccine better than anyone. We need a counter narrative on all of these issues. It's in our hands. The good news is most people don't tune into this stuff. Go back to the old-fashioned local pressuring, school board meetings, county commission meetings, state legislative hearings, bombard their offices, organized, focused pressure on issue after issue. Make it cool. Promote the good guys that are already there. And there is a growing number of good guys in state legislators. It's very much a minority, but they're on the map. And the good news is the other Republicans need our votes in primaries. We just have to make sure that they can no longer pretend. So we'll see what happens this week when Biden lays out his anti-crime agenda and what the response from Republicans will be. I don't think it's what you'll want to hear. But folks, again, if you have a local candidate not running on this, go and nail them on it. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.